Totally Football Show. Today, Newcastle with long staff, Man United with the wrong staff in not very surprising shocker at St. James's. Elsewhere, Wolves stun Man City with a great performance from Adama. And speaking of Adama performance, Spurs lose a Brighton. Was this the worst performance with Seagulls since Under Siege? That and many other questions to be answered in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's Totally Football Show. We're joined uh, this morning by Emma Saunders, voice of Watford FC, and all over your Five Live Sport. Hi, Emma. Yeah, can we put more emphasis on the Five Live Sport at this <laughs> stage, please? Thank you. <laughs> and also in the house, uh, very much the Statler and Wardorf to the Premier League's Gonzo and Fozzie Bear this weekend, uh, Daniel Story and Michael Cox. Hi, James. Lovely to see you both. What a round of games to have just before the international break. You know, like a goal just before half time. What a set of results to have simmering for the next fortnight, eh? Yeah, I think it was a big week of Premier League action. Uh, obviously, a lot changing at the top. And uh, yeah, just all, well, with the, with the exception of Watford, Sheffield United, which was, it felt like very much a last on match of the day game. Last on today's Totally Football Show. Yeah. Say, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very eventful. It certainly was. Do you feel that there'll be a similarly eventful fortnight in terms of managers, Daniel? Are you expecting all 20 managers still to be there? In a fortnight? Yeah, I am. I'm expecting there to be a lot of talk about those managers and a lot of a lot of managers entering the last chance saloon for a drink, put it that way, but not mm. necessarily anyone getting kicked out just yet. I see. Emma, how's your fortnight looking? Me personally? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a Watford fan. Yeah. Um, back to the drawing board again. Right. Uh, not looking good, especially with Tottenham next after the break. Unfortunately, I think it could be another Man City episode in that they'll have a chance to kind of get their heads together right. and hit us hard. Well, we'll see, I guess. We'll talk a lot about Spurs and probably a little bit less about Watford in the course of today's show. But let's start off with the dramatic events in the title race. Liverpool picking up their eighth win in a row. City getting beaten 2-0 at home by Wolves. And Daniel, you were there. I was. They what were, happened? They were terrible. They were really terrible. So you have this weird thing where when they play badly... They really play badly and every single player plays badly. Not one player yesterday kind of did their job effectively. Why is that? Is it because it's such a finely constructed mechanism that if one piece is off... <laughs> My theory, and it might well be wrong, is that they're so used to having everything going their way that when something goes wrong, they quite often struggle to, to cope with that. If you actually look at City, the one thing they're bad at is coming from behind. They When they fall behind, they generally lose and... They didn't really have any answers for, for Wolves. Wolves are brilliant, we should say. Um, mm. They kind of funneled City into the middle of the pitch. Without De Bruyne, they kind of figured that if they cramped the middle of the pitch, they could force City out wide. And one of the trends of, of City losing Premier League games is that they tend to attempt quite a lot of crosses in the games they lose. So bef since the start of last season, the, mo the games they've attempted the most crosses were the Palace defeat at home, the Norwich defeat and the Wolves defeat. Because mm. they basically get a bit frustrated and think, well, we'll just lump it in. That's exactly what Wolves wanted. Um, but there's a difference between frustrating them and then going and winning the game. And fair play to Nuno because he brought on Doherty at right back, told Traore to basically have a free roll, but make sure he's as high up the pitch as he can when Wolves get the ball. And right. he scored twice. He did, didn't he? Was there a kind of pleasure in the fact that this you know, perfectly planned and precise Man City were taken down by the, the freewheeling Adama Traore? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it was it was quite nice to see him get a goal because I think, or get two goals, I should say, mm. um, his, his first goals for over a year. I mean, he'd previously done a pretty good job against Sterling, hadn't he? He's kind of seen as this very indisciplined player on the pitch, but, you know, he's shown 
He's shown another side to his game in recent weeks that I didn't think he would have. Tom asks, what do you think would be Adama Traore's best position and why? Well, it certainly worked, didn't it, on uh, on Sunday when he was moved way further up the pitch. Um, but with City, I know we sit here and we talk all about their how defensively fragile they are. But I don't think we're saying enough about how actually at the front they're being let down as well. Um, Aguero was really quiet yesterday. Mares so, so poor. They didn't find a way really to uh, properly break down that Norwich back line, which even Aston Villa have managed this weekend. Um, so whilst there's clear issues in their back line, um, I actually think it, it's going forwards as, as well, which they've certainly lost a bit of confidence, which Pep said himself as well in the post-match interview. There's a confidence issue there. Yeah, he talked about nerves as, as well. He said, you know, the fact that Liverpool have this eight-point lead when Manchester City have won titles, they've generally been in their pomp by this stage of the season. And he mm. just says they're a bit nervous. He says that they're a bit, you know, maybe it's the defensive issues that's making them fragile. But Emma's absolutely right. Aguero, Silva and Sterling were, were wretched yesterday. And it kind of feels that if it doesn't click in the first 20 minutes, half an hour... Mm. Like we said earlier, if they get a little setback, suddenly things sort of fall apart around them a mm. bit. That said, there are definitely issues at the back without Laporte and even Stones. That moment when Otamendi offered you know, his version of resolute defending to Jimenez, for example. Yeah, he had a very difficult game. Um, obviously, the goals came late on, but there was three moments in the first half where Wolves basically had one-on-ones and Otamendi was involved in either bad positioning or bad tackling or I think a bad pass for, for one of those incidents. So, yeah, they are, they're struggling a lot more than I expected, actually. I, I, I don't mind Fernandinho at the back, but I think uh, you know they're missing him from midfield as well. I don't think Rodri had a particularly good game. Uh, I mean, like Daniel says, no one had a good game. And it's strange how De Bruyne, uh, his absence... It just seems to have affected everyone. It wasn't just they were lacking his crosses, but his relationship with Walker and Mahrez had worked so well in the in the past couple of weeks. Right. And uh, yeah, they just didn't have anything from that flank. And yet they won the league without him last season. Yeah, it's very strange, but it's almost like they've become very dependent on him at the start of this season. Right. The other surprise about all this was the fact that Man City had had a comfortable home game in the Champions League on, what was it, the Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Wolves had to go off to Istanbul and it came up with an incredibly tense late winner there. So that must have been, in terms of nervous energy, quite an exhausting mm. match as well. I, th- I think my sense is that Wolves have struggled this season because they felt that there's an onus on them to, as not as a promoted team anymore, to kind of play on the front foot and come forward. They were brilliant yesterday at just sitting back and soaking up pressure. And, and Remain Sace came off with an injury but actually it was a blessing in disguise because Bennett comes on and those him and him and Willie Bollywood just head clearances away for fun all day and that's what they made Man City do so it felt like it was back in under Wolves's control again okay Gavin says the gap between first and second is as big as the one between second and 17th discuss well, that's what we'll do over the course of the podcast, hopefully. <laughs> All right, OK, excellent. I mean, a couple of things on that. One is that City did come back from, what, seven behind last season? And also, this is from producer Ben, last time Liverpool won their first eight games at the start of the season was 1991, when they ended up second to Arsenal, who had been eight points behind them. Hmm. Well, Liverpool have only dropped eight points in their last 25 games. Wow. So in that sense, it's not looking great for City. Um, But I do think the one thing we have to remember with Liverpool is whilst they're on this winning run, um, 
it's been mar- really marginal at times. You saw that against Leicester on Saturday. Um, and they only really just got past Sheffield United. And there was left it really late against Southampton. It was, no, it was tense at the end against Southampton, wasn't it? They mm. nearly succumbed to a draw there. It was quite tense with Salzburg midweek as well. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think this Liverpool side can be got at, but whether they can catch them up as much as eight points, I'm not sure. Right. A 2-1 victory. Uh, for Liverpool over Leicester on Saturday. It was a funny way to win it as well. Martin Jones saying, just seeing the Liverpool penalty, you could say that for Leicester, it wasn't all bright on the night because, of course, Brighton came skipping back, mm. robbed the ball, then left it, then kicked Manny. And to be fair, Manny waited a bit before he went down. But he, he did get kicked, didn't he, by Michael Brown? Yeah, I wasn't entirely convinced that it was a penalty. But again, it's one of those that VAR is not going to overrule it. Fair. All right. How um, how good were Liverpool, though, with all the chances? How good was Mane? I, d- I don't think they've produced a complete performance yet this season in any competition, which is um, both probably slightly concerning for Jurgen Klopp, but more worrying for the rest of the league because they've won every game. Um, they're not the team of last season that were incredibly stingy at the back because Klopp wants to do play this higher line and wants to be a little more balanced going forward, not just relying on the front three. But they're not they're being incredibly wasteful in front of goal and yet they're still get creating enough chances to get it done. So depends on your point of view, but the fact they've won eight in a row with I don't think they've produced complete performance yet is is yeah, pretty worrying for the rest of the league. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily about how good they are this season. I think it's more about how bad everyone else is doing that's allowed that gap um to they happen. They are pretty good though, aren't they? They are good, but I, I just don't think there's anything yeah, extra I, special happening this season. I saw someone tweeting that this feels a little bit like the Leicester season where I know Liverpool are a better team than Leicester, but um whereby the rest of the top six just seem to have such obvious issues that you don't necess- necessarily need to be perfect mm. to win the league. And Liverpool are just capitalising on that. Mm. What about uh, Mo Salah's ankle? Any news on that? Oh, yeah. James Pierce, I think, said that just a twist, so might okay. well be back for United. All right. And a nice bit of argy-bargy at the end between uh, Robertson and Ayose Perez. Uh, overall, though, uh, Brendan will take positives. I didn't think Leicester were very good, actually. No? No, I, I, I thought Liverpool were a lot more positive than uh, Daniel and Emma have said. I thought they created lots of chances. No, it was a late penalty that got them the winner, but interesting to see them start with Salah through the middle, I think probably because Leicester play higher up the pitch. So uh, Klopp wanted them in, in that kind of role. I'm not sure that worked particularly well in itself, but those front three do just create chances amongst themselves. Mane and Salah's interplay was very good, I thought, you know, which is interesting after they had a bit of a, a falling out over not passing to mm. each other a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Liverpool are one of the best teams that we've seen in, in English football for, you know, since I've been watching the, the game. I, I just think they're brilliant. I mean, eight and eight to start the season. They're defensively solid. The, the midfield does the job very well. And the front three, I think, are probably the best in Europe. Um, I think, obviously, the one issue at the moment is the goalkeeper. Right. Um, While well, Alisson's still out because that was, you know, the concession was quite poor, I think. Um, and the thinking is that Alisson might be back after the international break? Mm. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they'll be looking for win number 18, uh, when they'll be at Old Trafford, facing a Man United side in free fall. Can't talk about uh, Man United now, though. We're a little bit backed up with crises, so they'll have to wait till uh, the last part of the show. Next up, it's Spurs. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Spurs in crisis. Four days after their 7-2 defeat at home to Bayern Munich, Tottenham visit Brighton and lose 3-0. Gotterdammerung, a Brighton side without a home win in eight matches and a Spurs side that had talked 
brightly of bouncing back from that Bayern blip, now heading Foster in an entirely different direction. It all began with that uh, error and then injury uh, to Hugo Lloris. Brighton have said that they haven't had a fair run of luck. Was that a, a stroke of fortune that, that they were actually due, do you think, Michael? Maybe. It was a very strange goal, but Brighton was so much better than Tottenham here. I mean, I thought the Bayern result was a little bit of a freak one. It was every shot seemed to go in. I mean, Brighton outplayed Tottenham here completely. Um, I think the goal, that first goal was interesting. If you go back to the start of the move, there's two passes from the goalkeeper Ryan to Stevens in midfield and then from Stevens to Gross between the lines. And it's just so easy for them to play through. I mean, it was... You just don't see Tottenham cut apart like that so easily because they're usually so compact, so good at pressing and just deny the opposition any space. And I must say, before this game, I thought some of the chat about Pochettino and Spurs was a bit exaggerated, but that was a performance just completely lacking intensity or or anything positive, really. It was alarmingly bad, really. Because that's the key thing here. It's the, it's the press, the intensity that had always been their trademark that has evaporated. Yeah, and in fairness, I think you can look at last season and say that they weren't pressing that well last season either. Um, but I think it's it's gone a little bit further here. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it was a terrible error from Lloris. I mean... I mean, incredible to concede a goal and put yourself out for a few months. I, mm. I don't mean to sound like I'm laughing at him, but I mean, from such an unthreatening cross to, to go wrong in two completely different ways is remarkable. Daniel, you tweeted that this feels like Klopp's final season with Borussia Dortmund when a, a really talented side, a side that hadn't lost too many key components, just suddenly couldn't win any more games. Yeah, and, and Borussia Dortmund's players talked about the fact that the message that the manager was giving them hadn't changed. It's just perhaps that they, you know, it'd gone a little bit stale. And this is quite often the reality, I think, of teams that that punch above their financial weight. And Tottenham have done that. You know, if you look at the wage bill, it's it's pretty close to Crystal Palaces. If you look at the money they've spent, it's less than pretty much everything else in the Premier League. So they have been, you know, punching above their weight. And when it goes wrong, it can quite quickly unravel. I think the interesting thing, and the the reason I pointed out the, the Klopp thing, is because... It didn't significantly hamper or affect Jurgen Klopp's reputation within the game. You know, it might have done amongst supporters, but in the game, he was still considered as a manager that had done the good things, not a manager that was impacted by the bad things. And I think the same is probably true of Pochettino. I don't think this will, this slump will negatively affect his standing within clubs like Manchester United, like Real Madrid, like Inter, who may have before considered him a manager they wanted to get in. But do you think this slump will end his time at Spurs? I'm exactly the same as Michael in that I thought it was all a little bit over-exaggerated up until now. But the more you look at it, the more you... There doesn't look like any fight in those players uh, for whatever reason, whether it's fatigue, whether it's that it's gone a bit stale, whether it's because players wanted to leave and haven't got their moves and Pochettino has spoken out against the club's transfer activity. I don't know. But yeah, it feels more and more like this is the beginning of an endgame. I I do agree that I don't think it will affect his reputation. And I actually think one of the main reasons that he might well stay in the job is just because they probably don't know who to replace him with because the the problems at Tottenham are so complex. It's so much more than just the manager. Who who do you bring in to improve the situation? After eight games with the team in a massive slump to take over at Tottenham Hotspur? Harry. (laughs) 
Um, a word or two about Brighton. A mm. Great result for them and, and their mm. aspirations of staying in the top flight. And what a debut uh, from Aaron Connolly. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a complete team performance, I think, from Dunk at the back right through to Connolly at the front. Um, I think he was making yeah, his full Premier League debut. And just hours after that, he was then called up to the Republic of Ireland squad um, for the international break. He was already in the under-21 squad, but he's gone up to the senior squad now. And it seems like him and Mopai together are just bringing so much more to this team um, than their predecessors. I think they've already scored more uh, league goals together than Andone and Lacardia. And he just seems like a really, really impressive young man. And I mm. think... Um, it, his goal, I mean, it wasn't just a kind of a fortunate tap-in. It was an, an audacious bit of skill. He basically yeah. tried to Zola it in yeah. and then got onto the rebound. Yeah, interestingly as well, I think Manchester United had their eye on him mm. at some point, have kind of let that slip there. Mm. We'll be ruining that now, seeing what he's produced against Spurs. He did a good post-match interview where he was asked what it meant to score in the Premier League. And he gave an answer that I found quite peculiar. He said, yeah, it means a great deal because like, since I was five or six, I've you know, grown up watching Premier League years. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he went for Premier League years rather than just the Premier but League. But do you not think he meant years worth of Premier League? No, no, no. no. He actually meant Premier League years yeah, for the show. Prim- I think so. So I think this is... That's how he got his current affairs and his football, you see. Yeah, this is the new standard. In, in like 10, 15 years, people will say, oh, really watched... Uh, all or nothing on Amazon Prime every week and just wanted to play for Man City on the back of that. But in all seriousness, he was excellent. Their combination play, I thought Mope and uh, and Connolly, every time Brighton hit a long ball, and they did play quite a lot of long balls in this game, they're always right together, always kind of feeding off each other's knockdowns and flick-ons. And they played an unusual system. They played three at the back for most of the season, but they switched to kind of 4-2-2-2 two, two, two with Gross and Moy between the lines. Spurs just couldn't deal with that. And the only way that they really found a way to stop it was after half-time when they switched to three at the back with Eric Dyer dropping into the back. But you think that's the kind of thing Spurs used to do like instinctively. Mm. Like They'd realise within the first five minutes, OK, Brighton are playing a surprise system, we'll change shape. And it did kind of fix it. They conceded one goal after the break, but that was a little bit against the run of play. But again, that was another sign of just you know Spurs not doing what they used to do so well. All right. A word for Graham Potter, because... Chris Hutton is a nice man, but when he lost his job, everyone said, you know, be careful what you wish for, blah, blah, blah. But in the space of three or four months, he's basically built a new team because their possession's gone up nearly 15% season on season. So that's a completely different style. He changes the formation in-game and, as Michael says, picks surprise formations. He's rocketed the average age of the squad down. They didn't pick a single player over 30 at the weekend. So fair play to him because he was under a huge amount of pressure because Brighton started badly this season. Everyone have said, well, you know, this is not going to work. But yeah, fair play to him. Do you think that Spurs or Daniel Levy might be unwilling to do anything about Poch now? Because if they were to fire him, Man United could get him and they would be indirectly, well, they would be directly strengthening a rival. Yeah, I think that is an obvious concern, but... I almost think they've got to look beyond that, you know, if a time's right to move would you, on. Would you pull the pull the trigger, press the button? Uh, no, I don't axe. think I, I don't think I would at the moment. I still think he's got a lot of credit from from what he did last season and in previous seasons. But uh, they need to they need to find out what the issue is. It seems like more of a just a technical or tactical problem. It does seem like there is right a bit of a slump in mentalities. Is Emma right to be concerned about Watford facing a wounded Spurs after the international break, or do you think the problems there are too deep to? <laughs> Yeah, Spurs are at home, so I think they, I think they, that Watford are worse than Tottenham at the moment, I'm afraid, yes. Ouch. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Nearly dying in a laundry basket. 
Special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Quick mention for the other London sides. Chelsea had a lovely win 4-1 away at Saints. Nice to see Pulisic and Batshuayi getting some action there alongside Frank's young'uns. Arsenal beat Bournemouth. Just a 1-0 clean sheet, though, and a goal from David Luiz. Uh, all while Spurs flounder, so a very good weekend indeed for Arsenal. Oh, and by the way, what a result for them in Europe against Standard Liège, or another good Europa League performance there, 4-0, and that Martinelli fellow looking really impressive. Arsenal did this last season where they were kind of third or fourth in the league and not playing particularly well, and everyone went, well, Emery's fine, and including me, I made that mistake. And then the, the results kind of caught up with the performances towards the end of the season, so I'm going to reserve a little bit of judgment there, but... It should be said that Unai Emery is, you know, Frank Lampard is getting an awful lot of credit for playing the kids at the moment when he's been given very little choice to do it. Unai Emery is doing that out of choice. You know, the rise of Joe Willock and Kaya Saka and, and even Matteo Guendouzi's status in the team, that's pretty impressive from Emery, I think, mm. to, to trust in those players because he's under a heck of a lot of pressure at the moment. All right, they're up to third, one point ahead of Leicester, Chelsea and Crystal Palace there who are only goal difference outside the top four Palace after their resounding 2-1 win away at West Ham, bringing the Hammers' six-game unbeaten run to an end. Mark, you're a big fan of Roy Hodgson. Yeah, I am. I'm really pleased to see this. Um, I was in... Last week, I was in Denmark and then Sweden to cover a Malmo against Copenhagen game Indeed. and in- interviewed a lot of fans uh, before the game about the rivalry. And... Almost everyone I interviewed went out of their way to say, oh, by the way, you know who really changed the fortunes of our club? Roy Hodgson. Right. Both Copenhagen fans and Malmo fans. Liverpool fans say much the same thing. Yeah, and, and we'll do so at any given opportunity, I've noticed. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a great story. I mean, you look at where they were two years ago where they lost all of their first seven games of the season um, and win a real state. Um, and I think he's done a really good job at transforming them. I think tactically they're really well organised. I've made a couple of very good signings. Gary Cahill in particular, mm. who I think have been written off by a lot of people having not really played last season. Um, AU up front got the winner here. Um, scored a couple of other goals this season. That has worked out better than anyone could have expected. Um, and even they've got a lot of players who you think are kind of run-of-the-mill Premier League players like James MacArthur. But whenever I watch him, he's capable of running games like this. So... Yeah, I'm I'm pleased for Palace. I, I really I like them as a club. I like Hodgson. I think Selhurst Park is a great ground to go to. So yeah, I'm always pleased to see them do well. Wilfried Zaha might just be getting Champions League football after all. Wow, <laughs> it does look that way. Listener, Scottish football Rangers now top of the SPL, two points clear after their win over Hamilton and Celtic's first defeat of the season, which came two nil to Livingston. Who'd, who'd lost their previous four games. What does it all mean? You can find out in the Totally Scottish Football Show. That's later in the week. Wednesday, we'll bring you the Totally, totally Football League Show with much chat about such diverse topics as Stoke getting their first win of the season, which is nice for under-fire Nathan Jones, 
And also, uh, ooh, Forest level on with uh, West Brom on top of the championship. Yeah, I can't quite believe it. So I'm prepared for it all to come crashing down because that's my default status. But yes, beat Brentford at the weekend. Unbeaten since the opening day. Wow. All right. Caroline and co. will be on top of all of that Wednesday in the Totally Football League show. Alex Jakobsen says, how was the trip to Malmo on Thursday for Michael? Good atmosphere in the stadium? There you go, Michael. M- Malmo, Copenhagen. Yeah, it was good. Um, quite a unique derby between two sides who have a kind of one-sided rivalry but had never really played each other in an official competition before. Oh, and did they last week in the Europa League then? Yes. Right. And, of course, they're on either end of that bridge. Yeah, exactly. So right. it was a very exciting rivalry. I've written about it for The Athletic, if, if you're interested. But it's a very complex rivalry that goes back to a, a game they had in the Royal League about 12 years ago. Do you remember okay. the Royal League, James? No, I don't remember It was kind of like League. a Champions League just for Scandinavian sides. Nice. And they played in Copenhagen. There was some quite bad police violence against the Malmo fans. Oh, really? Which Copenhagen's president kind of blamed on the Malmo fans, then refused to apologise for. So it was strange because uh, Copenhagen were... Their weekend game was against Bromby, which is their big rivalry. Right. And so the fans I spoke to in Denmark said, well, it's not even our biggest game of the week. And then I went over the bridge to Sweden right. and spoke to fans there and they said, this is our, you know, we've been waiting 12 years for this. So it was a, a strange game, but it was right. interesting. What's the bridge like? Kind of underwhelming, actually. It's just such a smooth transition from one country to the other that you don't really notice it. You kind of want some flags saying right. welcome to Sweden, but you don't. It's just kind of like going across like Blackfriars Bridge just goes on for longer. I see. <laughs> I see. By the way, that, that, that Bromby-Copenhagen derby, their big game of the week, not yep. the one you went to, um, <laughs> you can find out how that went in Tuesday's Totally Football Show, which is, of course, the Euro edition, and we'll be getting an update on that crucial, crucial match. Right now, though, Emma, I insist that we return to the Premier League and talk about the battle at the bottom. Now, Wolves, mm. who were bottom three a week ago, have climbed out of trouble. Mm. The relegation trio currently reads Everton, Norwich, and three adrift, Watford. Mm. Saints are right on the edge. Newcastle have climbed up to 16th. And Man United are now only a point above them after their dramatic 1-0 at St. James's on Sunday. Yes. Does this qualify as a shock anymore? Um, It's difficult to say. I mean, that's it, because you look at the Premier League table, Manchester United are level on points with Sheffield United and Brighton, who are probably still relegation candidates, aren't they? So where do we draw the line here? Um, Yeah, before we really start hammering Manchester United here, as much as it pains me as a Watford fan to say this, you've got to take your hats off to Steve Bruce and what he did in this game, taking a risk with the youngsters um, on such a big stage. See, Bruce, who, to be fair, looked like he couldn't believe his luck after that, talking about 20 years he'd been waiting for this. And, uh, and, and also to have the winning goal scored in such uh, romantic fashion by, by a, a young, well, a 19-year-old on his, his Premier League debut. Extraordinary stuff. Yeah, he, he said in the week he was going to, he said, yeah, I've tried Steve Bruce tactics and now I'm going to go back to Rafa Benitez tactics. Um, I mean, I'm not sure Steve Bruce tactics are free-flowing Brazil 1970 football, but he was right to do it because the, the, the thing with Manchester United at the moment is if you frustrate them and then they get frantic and they just throw men forward to try and solve a problem that nobody can solve and then you just pick them off and that's exactly what Newcastle did. Right. Newcastle who humiliated 5-0 remember just last week hadn't won a home league game since mid-April who, who only drew 1-1 with Watford there. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, Slam. 
Yeah. What do, you enjoy a Newcastle game, don't you, Michael? Did you like this one? I did, actually. It was a little bit similar to that Brighton game where it just took so long to open out. Like, nothing happened before first uh, before half-time. But Newcastle do have attacking threats. I mean, Sam Maximan, I think he's the most exciting player in the Premier League at the moment. He's just incredibly fast, incredibly direct, doesn't seem to quite have control over where he's going. He's quite a, he's quite a Tino Asprilla, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, Almiron makes really good runs. His end product has been pretty poor. Do you think he'll ever score a goal for New- for Newcastle? <laughs> to be honest, not the way it's, he's going. I, I think he will. He, his time there will expire, and then he'll he'll move on with lots of good intentions and near misses. But I don't see him ever scoring a goal there. We'll wait and see. But we'll they, they see. have him. I mean, Jolinton didn't have the the most prominent game, but then they brought on Carroll, who obviously provided the kind of threat mm. he does. And then I enjoyed the fact he just played the last five minutes at centre back, just heading everything away. Um, yeah, I, and it was great to see Longstaff score. I mean, he. Apart from the goal, he had a really good game, I thought. The, the two of them in midfield were just much better than Fred and McTominay. It was a little bit against the run of play, that goal. United were just building some pressure, but it, it wasn't an undeserved victory. I thought Manchester United were, were terrible, really. Mm. Um, do you think somewhere Alan Hansen is chuckling, re the use of kids in this Man United side and his <laughs> maxim being proved? Uh Maybe. I mean, I think regardless of age, there's just a lot of players who are really not at the right level, to be honest. I mean, at the moment, they've got an average. You look at the starting 11 and, and it really does feel mid-table. If there was some kind of Premier League draft and, and you were picking your manager, I think Solskjaer might be 20th in the league. So there's no real reason why question. they should be. Who would you pick first if you were doing a Premier League draft? Uh, Guardiola. You would? OK. Yeah. I mean, Guardiola and Klopp, I think, would be everyone's yeah. front uh, top two. Who's your, who's your top two? Um? I'd go Klopp. I think top. You're... Only because going back to our earlier point, I think Pep doesn't know how to lose, and that that worries me. I think that's his Achilles' heel. Right, but your twentieth pick, I'm I'm betting would be Marco Silva. Is that oh, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Daniel. Yeah, I I oh, if I was picking a manager, yes, um, Guardiola as well. Okay, and your last pick, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, without a doubt. I went down the league. If you go down the league table, I think you get to Millwall, who have just got rid of. Steve Morrison, and I think that's the first club you get to that would be that their fans would be happy to have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer appointed. Genuinely, I mean, no club above that is in a situation where they would be happy. They would welcome Solskjaer coming to their club, and for all the this vague notion that he knows the club and he you know he cares and class of yada yada yada, that's a big thing. If if there's none of your peers would want your manager in charge, mm. he's probably not the right manager for the job. Doesn't mean he's the main problem or even in the top three, but. That's not the reason to keep him. Right. I'm not saying it's going badly, you wrote this week, but Bury have won away from home more recently than Manchester United, and they aren't even a club anymore. No, yeah. I mean, I did get quite a lot of angry responses pointing the same, pointing out that the same is true for Tottenham. So, Okay. Uh, but yes, I mean, they are absolutely wretched. They're, they're, it wasn't a surprise at all. It was exactly the game we thought it would be. Right. Maybe 0-0, maybe 1-0 to either side, but it happened to be that it was Newcastle that made it count. And it's just... It's, it's, I, it, Gary Neville was being very defensive of Ligon Solskjaer, and I know he's his mate, but he's sort of saying, you know, this, this, this need, they need money spent. There's no point giving a manager money to spend who, A, has never spent money before, and B, has never been uh, you know, a good manager in this country before. Right. There's I, some I, weird stuff going on with, as well with, like, Neville was, seemed delighted when Lukaku left the club. Like, yeah. was talking about him like he just wasn't fit for a grand club like Manchester United and then was saying yesterday oh Rashford needs a break but there's no one else to bring in well don't sell Liverpool in 2015 were a club that were in a bit of a mess they didn't go and appoint Sammy Hoopier who had managed 
They oh, he'd managed Brighton for a bit and not done very well. Oh, he'd done all right at Bayer Leverkusen, but he played for them in 1999. So, oh, get Hoopier in then. He's played here before. It doesn't work like that. Anyway. All right. Well, the result is their worst start to a season since 89-19. Comes off the back of a goalless draw away at AZ Alkmaar when they failed to have a single shot. They have, since August, scored as many goals as Aaron Connolly. I mean, it is it, for, for people that, for, and I think I speak for all of us here, that grew up in a certain time, yeah. it's almost unbelievable how bad they are. But they are only two points outside of the releg- relegation zone and they are getting worse. So if they are really going to keep faith in this project and let it last out to the end of the season, like, there's no safety net there for them. that They could finish anywhere, I think. All right. Emma, do you share Daniel and Michael's conviction that no manager will be seeking pastures new over the international break? Uh, I think if one manager is going to go, it's Ole. Really? Yeah, I do. Because it's there's a two-week break there for them to mm. really do something about it here. Um, but who they bring in next? Maybe get Solskjaer in as a caretaker. <laughs> That's actually right. not worked a bad all right idea. last time, didn't that, it? Yeah. <laughs> in all seriousness, he's done so badly since being appointed that... I think next time there is a successful caretaker, clubs will be a lot more wary of appointing mm. him permanently mm. because we have seen, I mean, Di Matteo won the Champions League as a caretaker. Tim Sherwood actually genuinely did a really good job with Tottenham as a caretaker, mm. but these aren't the kind of guys who, who lend themselves to a long-term project and it's happened again. And sentiment will only get you so far. Um, I mean, Millwall might be a bit extreme, but I, I do agree that if you sort of take out the romance of this, what has he done as a coach mm. And which clubs would be looking at him from that perspective, I'm not sure. I mean, I may have said this before on the podcast, so apologies if I'm repeating myself, but there's people who kind of statistically model the strength of leagues and they rate the Norwegian first division, which Solskjaer has won as a manager, but they rate that on a par with League One in England. So that kind of puts into perspective the fact that, you know, Manchester United wouldn't be appointing someone who just won League One. You know, it's, it's an incredible situation they've got themselves into. Well, watch this space. It, is, it should be said, it is good business, though. It is, it is very, very watchable. It is very, very interesting. There you go, Man United fans. You're entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> now, elsewhere at the sharp end, things getting scary for the Canaries, beaten 5-1 at home by Aston Villa. It was uh, The scoreline's pretty one-sided, but the shot count was almost level, actually. Better finishing from the villains? Yeah, well, the shots they had, there was just no defensive pressure on the player shooting on, on quite a few occasions. That second Wesley goal was just bizarre, just strolled between the centre-backs, none of them really interested in tackling him. So, yeah, I mean, I think Villa were the better side, although, like you say, there was uh, there were some chances for Norwich. But I think it was it was quite nice to just watch that Villa performance. A couple of the players played excellently. Mm. Huraham was very involved. Grealish, I think, is an excellent player. I think can basically run games you know against the bottom most of the bottom half of the league and people might say okay he needs to do it against bigger sides to be considered a good player but Villa's job is is survival this year and if Grealish plays like that against you know the Norwiches of this world then they will survive and they'll have had a good season if they, keep up, if they keep up the pace of the points they're on they'd finish on 38 which should be enough I can to, see to your, keep them your up. Maths you've done that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I'm yeah, working out each and every of those teams in a rather drop zone. Who are you pinning your hopes on, Emma? 
to in what, terms of the three teams that need to be worse. That would need to be worse. Yeah, who have you uh, got? Norwich, because yeah. um, I do think after that game, it's just so obvious now that they're really, really struggling on the struggling on the injury front, um, particularly defensively. And I think it's a classic case of once you've got Pookie and Campwell's number, um, as you do with these promoted sides, if you can work out what they're doing on the attack, then defensively they can be got at. Um, so I put Norwich down there. I would still put Brighton down there as much as it was a brilliant performance. I think it was a little bit freak and they just took advantage of a good opportunity against Tottenham there. I still think there's wider issues. Uh, and my third, I think, would be Southampton. Okay. Um, well, there are only goal difference outside the bottom yeah. three at the moment. And their home their home record is is poor and you need to be winning matches at home. Right. What about Everton, who are actually in the bottom three? <laughs> Shock. They ca- with all the money they've spent, they cannot go down, no, surely. Can you... Down. Yeah, no. they're they're the one club in in there that have. If it starts to go even worse than it is already, they'll just change manager and therefore yeah. be all right. They've done it before and they'll do it again. Okay. So. Well, their their latest result a one nil defeat away at Burnley, and Daniel, I think you wanted to talk about Burnley a little bit. Is that right? I just wanted to make a, a comparison with Burnley and, and Norwich. And mm. Norwich got that standout win against City and were absolutely brilliant in it. And yes, they do have injury problems, but. The way you stay up as a promoted club is not by getting these individual brilliant standout results. It's by kind of grubbily getting the job done when results are tough. And Sheffield United are doing that better than them this season. It's basically what Burnley have absolutely... Well, it's what they've sold themselves on. It's not necessarily getting brilliant standout results. It's against just, you know, working through it and getting things done and, and being really hard to beat. And Norwich aren't hard to beat at the moment. They've won two games, but they've lost every other game. So mm. if you lose 75% of your league games, which they have done, then you'll go down. Right. Whereas Burnley kind of just, it's just that workman-like performance to just to get things done. And that's, again, this weekend what Burnley did. All right. Well, a fine result to, to beat Everton, even if Everton are not in the best of shape at the moment. Burnley currently sitting seventh in the Premier League table. And as promised, last on the Toby Football Show this Monday, Watford's nil-nil draw with Sheffield. You went long, Emma, did you? Yeah, ninety minutes of your life you'll never get back. I think was the, really uh, well. There must be something from a lot of people. So I feel in every experience, there's something that makes it worthwhile. Some lesson to be learned. Uh, Maybe a pie or a or a tune that was for, played on for the me, PA. For me personally, yes. as stadium announcer at Watford, it was very interesting to be a couple of metres away from Chris Wilder for ah, ninety minutes. Right. Um, because I doubt there'll ever be a fan cam on him due to the language. So Jurgen Klopp called in the loudest manager he'd he ever is. experienced. Unbelievable. Honestly, in the first half an hour of that game, on repeat, I reckon 20, 30 times. <laughs> cross the ball, just <laughs> cross it. No, not there for <laughs> sake. <laughs> cross it. All right, Emma. <laughs> Jesus, we're only having a game of table tennis. <laughs> wow. I really like that. Wow. That more, me. more, Emma. <laughs> great it's genius tactically from him because that is where Watford are conceding all their right, goals from right. um, so that was very interesting and also actually another thing that did make me chuckle a bit about Sheffield United uh, trolling Watford before they'd even kicked a ball with an Elton John playlist in their dressing room oh did they yeah I don't know if that's trolling Emma is that not like a, a, a mark of respect I don't know I, I just got the impression going into this game uh, depends lot- what they played if it was Nikita then yeah they were trolling yeah <laughs> no I, I think it was an effort at trolling to oh, be was honest it? Okay. um yeah, I tell you what though, with Watford, when it rains, it pours. The only positive really to be taken from this was the fact it was a, a clean sheet, first since February. Oh, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, Seb Perdle did play a massive part in that and he went off injured. Oh, no way. He's um, only just come back. I know, which is a real, real shame. 
uh, the last game he played in before that was away at Molyneux when Watford beat Wolves, which Man City hadn't even managed, um, which was one of the best performances of last season. So for him to now be injured again um, is a massive, massive disappointment. How long do you think he'll be out for? Well, I'm not really sure. He He's done his hamstring again, which is what kept him out so long before. But he did say after the game, him coming off was more of a precautionary damage limitation thing that he didn't want to make it any worse. Um, but saying that, I don't think we've got a prognosis yet. But he, he just bought such an air of calm across the back three. Um, it still wasn't Craig Cathcart's best performance, but certainly Christian Cabasello, um had a really, really good game. Uh, and there's something about his presence and also just having a really big centre half made a difference. He was mm. coming forward um, for set pieces and Craig Dawson had a brilliant opportunity at the end, um, which um, it was a header, which I'm sure Pradle would have buried if he'd been on the pitch. So, you know, again, fine margins. I think we're talking at Watford and uh, still not getting the rub of the green. I see. Uh, three games without scoring they, now. They, when, they are very, very bad at shooting. When's Troy Deeney coming back? Um, soonish. Um, I don't think he'll make it in time for Tottenham, but we could be looking at the couple of games after that. Well, there you go. That's game week eight of this crazy Premier League season. Uh, we'll be talking in a moment or two about some of the madness on the continent and some of your questions as well. And also what happened with the Lionesses and their fourth defeat in five and where that leaves Phil Neville. Uh, first, though, here's producer Ben, who's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. Lee, not much time today, so let's talk about the golden boot. Sadio Mane, can he do it again? And this time by himself. Yeah, I like this. He's certainly been Liverpool's Mane man so far this season. Sorry. But our traders put him seventh in the betting. And don't tell him this, that includes being behind his frenemy Mo Salah. Ouch. Sergio Aguero leads this market as he does the scoring charts at 3-1. With Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang next at 9-2. After him, you get some usual faces. That's Harry Kane, Salah, Tammy Abraham, Raheem Sterling, and then Sadio Mane, who is 10-1 to 1 to win the Golden Boot this season. It's been a particularly bad week, of course, for Spurs. We've been talking about Pochettino at length today. What are the odds, please, on the next Spurs manager? Yeah, tough times at Tottenham. If they do choose to part company with Poch, we think their choices of successor are both outstanding and special. And that's because our market has joint favourites namely Brendan Rodgers and Jose Mourinho. They're both 7-2 to be the next Spurs boss, ahead of former Juve manager Max Allegri at 11-2. And then it's Eddie Howe at 8-1. And finally, a really bad defeat for Norwich. Are they going to concede more than 100 goals this season? Oh, God, poor old Norwich. Uh, they're now our favourites for relegation, odds on at 5-6. And also the shortest price to finish bottom. That win over Man City seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? But we still think the likelihood of them conceding more than 100 goals this season is a long shot. Although they did seem rather susceptible to those against Aston Villa. We go 14-1. to 1. They concede a century of Premier League goals this term. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. We're not going to stop yet, listener. We've got loads of things to discuss. Including... The international break coming up, but the Lionesses actually played last Saturday at the Riverside where they took on Brazil and got beat 2-1, which can happen, but this is their fourth defeat in five, and all of a sudden, the bright new dawn under Phil Neville is not looking quite so bright anymore. It hasn't ever been either, really. Has it not? No, no there's a very much a very much an England 
at the 2018 World Cup scenario where they've beaten everyone that they're better than and lost to everyone that they're worse than. But the problem for Phil Neville is that England were already or should have already been one of the top four or five best nations in the world and mm. he's not made them any better. But, I mean, Emma might talk about him but individually. But They're a brilliant squad, but he, he's just not doing it as manager. And on top of that... I just wonder when he's going to start talking about himself in the third person. It is all about him. After the game, he said, I want to play football that reflects me as a person. We'll get better. I'm not concerned. And I just think it was so important after that World Cup in the summer that they rode the crest of that wave. And they just haven't. Mm. They conceded two poor goals in that game um, against Brazil. Portugal next on Tuesday. And then they've sold 70,000 tickets for that game at Wembley in November. And you start to wonder now, you re- you really want to put on a good show there, whether that's going to be the case. Who's the game against in November? Germany. Oh, right. Okay. The, the chip on his shoulder is genuinely extraordinary. I know football managers can sometimes be a little bit like that, but for the lack of CV, you know, this is his first job as a manager. And he talks like, well, he, he literally said the England, the England team is lucky to have me. It's a remarkable way of acting that isn't working. Mm. Oh dear. Well, we'll have more on that story with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper in the Offside Rule podcast, which should be with you about now, actually. Uh, elsewhere this weekend, uh, Michael, did you enjoy a Sunday night's uh, inter-Juventus clash at San Siro? It was very high tempo, very mm-hmm. dramatic. And all Argentine goals as well. Dybala's opener was an absolute screamer, no? Did it get a deflection? It well, it, I think it kind of blew past the goalkeeper and, and, mm. and I think touched him on the way. But it, maybe it, yeah, it was a good hit. And yeah. then Higuain, who I didn't think would figure much this season, but is proving very useful. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that saw the lead change hands in Italy. Juve moving one point clear now of the Nerazzurri. Elsewhere, PSG are now safely back on top. In France, uh, Marocardi scoring again for them as they had a 4-0 win over Angers. In Spain, the top three are once again them, Real Madrid, Atletico and, and, and Barca. Germany, though, is a bit bonkers. We've got Borussia Mönchengladbach have just moved to uh, first place after they beat Augsburg 5-1. Did you see that moment from the Augsburg keeper? No. He, he did a Paul Robinson against Croatia, except there wasn't a divot or anything. He just kind of wildly swung his leg at it and the ball sailed Kaylee passed and uh, yeah in it went brilliant stuff do you know what we'll talk about all those many exciting things when we convene with Raphael Honigstein Julian Laurence James Horncastle and Alvaro Romeo for Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show just before we wrap up today uh, a lot of listeners writing in about the idea of renting pets is that something you've ever done at all Emma? (laughs) Renting pets? Yeah, you're renting pets. Don't say it like it's what, a weird What, do you mean idea. like taking dogs for a walk that you don't own, that kind of thing? Well, you, it could be for a walk. I'm not sure what the time scale is. I know that, for example, in Manchester, there's a cafe where you can go and yes. basically just sit and stroke. Well, yeah. There's one in London. Is there? Yeah. But you're not allowed, in Manchester, they were quite specific, you're not allowed to pick up the cats. Yeah. I just think it's fair enough, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, isn't, they can't pick you up. Yeah, you get no, there. And you yeah. Just give them a stroke, but you can't hold them. And they can jump up onto you, but you can't can, just go. Yeah, oh, have you been? Be, it's on their terms. Michael, you've been? I've been to one in London. There's one in Valencia as well. Is there? We've yeah. got one in our house. Okay. <laughs> what, about, what about renting cats and dogs? Have you ever done that? We own four cats. Mm. I see. Which is, But I don't see, without going too deep into this... The nice thing about a pet is you have a bit of a relationship, relationship. with it. Not that you go, oh, mm. it's not like a car. 
No, but we, that's I think what people find strange. But I can entirely see the times when you I don't get why. Well, I don't get why you would rent over own. What's the What's the benefit of renting? Well, the it's same like, as with a like boat or something. The same thing that puts you off having kids. Like, yeah. if you can just borrow your brother or your sister's kid for a day and then give it back, that right. kind of thing. And not necessarily for any kind of financial transaction. <laughs> no. the, thing, the thing that would stress me out about hiring a dog for the day is you yeah. take it for a walk, it goes yeah. off the lead and you don't see it again. Absolutely that. And I'm not sure how these things work with insurance and, yeah. Fair. I think I'll just stick to having a cat at home. What's your, what are your four animals called, Daniel? Uh, they're called Millie, Remy, Kit Kat and Percy. <laughs> Where did the name Kit Kat come I from? only named one of them, which is Percy, I should say. All right. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Duncan Alexander, who's just got a new dog entirely coincidentally, uh, will be with us, as will Tom Williams and Carl Anker. It's, of course, an international break, so we'll have, we'll have dug up a whole load of really interesting things to talk about alongside pretty comprehensive roundup of what's happening in those international fixtures maybe a bit of flip reversing all that kind of fun so do join us for that listener for now it's many many thanks to emma to daniel and to michael and you listener have yourself a great week we'll be back with you pretty much every day on totally so we'll see you then you've been listening to the totally football show a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.